All right, welcome back to the Sooner Surge. And today uh, we have a special episode and we're joined by Heather Dennich, senior writer at ESPN.com, as well as, I don't know, you do a lot on ESPN, many different platforms uh, with ESPN on TV. So just thanks so much for taking time today. We appreciate it. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Happy to join you guys. Yeah, so if you could just kind of tell us just kind of your career, how you got started in journalism, maybe when you wanted, felt like you wanted to be in journalism and then just kind of your career to ESPN. Sure. Um, I'm, well, I'm not normal for a lot of reasons, but career-wise, I'm not normal because I always knew what I wanted to do. And when I was 16 years old, I was working for the Possible Republican and Evening Herald, which is my hometown newspaper. And it's right down the street from Yingling Brewery. It's actually like super close to it. Um, and I was putting in wrestling scores and high school track and football and just a lot of what old school newspaper reporters would call agate. And um, that's where I started. And I did, I was really involved in high school journalism program. Mm -hmm. We had one of the best in the state. And so I was really fortunate in that I knew my brain worked English and writing and just was not good at math and science. Mm -hmm. And so it's sort of stay with what you know type thing. And um, so I, chose a college based on its journalism school, mm -hmm. which was Indiana University. And, and at the time, for whatever reason, choosing a, a university that had a journalism school as opposed to a communications program was important to me. And in retrospect, it's really, it doesn't, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter as much as I thought it did in my 17 year old head. Um, but I'm glad I did because I went to IU. They have a great journalism program. And when I was there, Bob Knight got fired. And I was um, an intern at the Washington Post, a summer intern and a two-year intern. And so, I mean, really, guys, I was at the right place at the right time for a lot of national sports stories, which was Bob Knight getting fired, Joe Paterno, the worst season in school history. I was there as a college football reporter, a beat writer, covering Penn the center daily times when paterno was three and nine mm -hmm. and then um covering gary williams for the baltimore sun and you know just kind of being around these explosive personalities in coaching um ultimately led to where i am today and i've been to, i've been at espn since november of 2007 my first wow. game assignment was lloyd carr's last home game and here I am covering the college football playoffs. So, yeah, Heather. So, kind of as you have evolved through your journalism career, you know, whenever you started at 16 years old, could you ever have imagined yourself eventually getting a job at ESPN? No, not in a million years. I mean, not just working at ESPN. But being on TV as much as I am, I was a print journalism major, just old school mentality about it. Um, and I now realize why there are broadcast journalism majors. It's extremely <laughs> difficult. It's a, a whole different job. And, and I'm still learning about it as I go. Like, for example, this year was the first college football season that I took a train to New York every week in the fall and was in studio for Get Up. That was totally different part of my job. And I loved it. And I hope I get to do it again this fall. Um, but no, it's just it really wasn't on my radar. And, and I think a lot of it has so much to do with the fact that it seems 
so much about TV that I never really thought, man, I could get to ESPN.com and be a college football writer. And they reached out to me when I was at the Baltimore Sun because they were starting at the time what was called the blog network. And they were hiring a reporter to cover each conference. And because I was covering Maryland at the time, football and basketball, they reached out to me to be the ACC writer. And so that was my first job at ESPN was covering specifically the ACC and um, when Florida State finally made it to the national championship game, it was the last year of the BCS national championship game that Florida State played Auburn mm -hmm. at the Rose Bowl. And I had one of those meetings you'll never forget. I remember being in the Rose Bowl and taking my editor aside and saying, look, I love this job. I love this job. But what else can I do at ESPN? And he said, you know, we talked about it and eventually it led to the, well, why don't you cover the college football playoff? It's starting next year. And nobody really knew what that meant. I mean, the college football playoff didn't even know what the college football mm -hmm. playoff was. Honest to goodness, there were so many questions. And so um, I'm really happy we had that conversation at the Rose Bowl. And that was, I guess, 2013. And it's it's evolved. Yeah, great to kind of hear about how you got started uh, in this career. But just wanted to ask you kind of, this week, heard that Oklahoma and Texas making their move to the SEC is official in 2024. So I just wanted to get your opinion on maybe how you think Oklahoma uh, will be able to um, – how much success do you think Oklahoma can have in the SEC? I think it's going to be much more difficult, not just for Oklahoma, obviously, but for all of the schools in the SEC. Because when you're talking about a 16-team conference, I mean – Look, it's hard enough to emerge as the best of the best in the SEC West, period. And then you broaden it to 16 teams and you've got to be the best of those 16. I mean, I think I think the Big Ten is going to experience something very similar. So I think in essence, the cream is going to continue to rise to the crop. But we also have different conversations. Um, and I asked this on Twitter the other day. What does Alabama look like without Nick Saban? Does that open the door for other schools? Does Georgia continue to be, you know, the king of the conference and, and college football as a whole? Um, I mean, look. Oklahoma has to answer the question, how good are they in the Big 12 this year under Brent mm -hmm. Venables? They've got to take a quantum leap to win the league that they're in right now with yeah. BYU and Houston and Cincinnati. So I think the I think it's going to get harder for everyone, not just Oklahoma. Yeah, Heather, you've covered OU in the college football playoffs a few times that we were in it. So you were on the inside of the program on everything going on uh, at that time. Do you think the program's in a better position now with Brent Venables as the head coach over Lincoln Riley? I think time will tell. I mean, as we sit here right here this skinny minute, the answer is no, because they weren't very good last year, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I, I also think that their expectations are too high on first-year coaches, unfairly so, especially at programs like Oklahoma and Notre Dame and insert your blue blood program here, right? But I also think there were questions about Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley. And that's not to say as a playoff contender, it's can you go from semifinalist to national champion under Lincoln Riley? There's always the next question, right? The bar is insanely high. So now under Venables, it's simply can you win the Big 12, right? Period. And then can you achieve success in an overgrown, gargantuan SEC? But to say it's in a better place, you can't say that 
that right now because because it's not. But Lincoln Riley is facing the exact same questions at USD that he faced at Oklahoma, which was, can you play defense? <laughs> can you get to the CFP without playing defense? Yes, you can. He proved that. Can you win it all? No, you can't. Not unless you start playing defense. Yeah. Yeah. Talked about uh, in the Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC in 2024, you mentioned USC and UCLA to the Big Ten in 2024 and then also in 2024 the college football playoff expansion so just with all those changes going on uh, in 2024 uh, do you think that's going to be good for college football i think it's going to be exciting for college football fans because with 12 teams in the mix we're going to be talking about so many more teams deep into November. And that's what makes college football fun. I mean, as somebody who's talking ad nauseum on TV, on the radio, about the college football playoff in that month when the sport is at its peak, I love talking about Utah. And whatever other team is out there that we're not usually talking about, um, whether it's Cincinnati or whatever team is in the mix, TCU was fun, right? Everybody jump on that bandwagon because we don't talk about TCU. It's just exciting to add some freshness to the playoff picture. And that's exactly what expansion is going to do. But with that being said, we're going to be talking about the same teams when it matters the most. And I think college football fans need to realize that, that yes, this expanded playoff is going to allow that group of five champion into the conversation. Having to be, perfect like Cincinnati was with the win against Notre Dame that made the difference in the end and all the stars aligned right but you're still going to have these beefed up SEC and Big Ten conferences where Ohio State, USC, um, Georgia, Alabama the same teams are going to make up a bulk mm -hmm. of that and they're going to be from the Big Ten and the SEC so does Clemson come back into this conversation? Does Florida State help the ACC this year? You know, I just, I don't know. Um, it makes it more interesting. It's going to make it more fun. But I also think in terms of is it good for college football, I guess the, the answer is yes, but beware because the Big Ten and the SEC have already separated themselves from everybody else. Yeah. Do you have a preference for the four or 12 team playoff or would you maybe like to see the eight team? Um, you know, just in, in, in covering this, I understand why they went to 12. And one of the reasons I'll tell you, one of the reasons I love four is because, you know, you're getting the best. You can argue we can argue all day long who else should be in it with them. But if you go back and look at the teams that have actually won the national title, it's very hard to argue that LSU was the best team in the country in 2019, that Alabama was the best, that Clemson. I mean, the list goes on. Um, I would argue this past year that Ohio State and Georgia were the best teams. Yeah. Period. I mean, I can go on about that. But – what I don't like about giving conference champions automatic qualifiers is that 
you can have Purdue somehow <laughs> on a miracle snowball's yep. chance in hell, beat Ohio State, and then you've got this four team in the playoff, four lost team. Don't tell me that Purdue's one of the best teams in the country just because this happened on that one day. So that's kind of where I hesitate with the conference champion thing in it. I would, I would almost lean towards the Sankey-esque type, just give me the 12 best teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mentioning that, how many SEC teams do you expect in the playoff? from like each year after 2024? Well, you know, I do think a lot of that depends on how quickly Oklahoma and Texas raised the bar um, within their own, within their own programs, um, because that could, that could make it a lot more. Um, you know, I think Georgia's here to stay. Uh, I don't think Alabama's going very, very far anytime mm-hmm. soon. I mean, Golly, they lost two games by about four points last year, and everybody's calling at the at the end of the yeah. end of the Nick Saban. <laughs> Stop! He, he didn't get dumber. We're still talking about Nick Saban. Um, so I think you got Georgia, Alabama. Brian Kelly's on the way up at LSU. Look at what Tennessee is doing. I mean, you're talking about five, probably five solid teams because you're talking about the top twelve rankings, yeah. right? You're not talking just about the SEC champions. So, I mean, I think you're looking at four or five teams. Easy. Heather, I mean, you're the guru. Your credibility in college football in the college football world is probably second to none. Uh, so I want to ask you about teams like Clemson. Uh, you know, they're they're a South Southeast Conference. I mean, geographically, are, are we looking at teams like that and maybe Florida State? Uh, blue blood programs that eventually could move to the SEC and create, you know, two major power conferences? Or do you think that's still a ways away? I do think it's still a ways away only because the ACC's grant of rights locks those programs in until I want to say 2035. Um, But just doing what I do, as long as I've done, if there's one thing I'm sure of, it's that realignment is never over. Um, So I don't... (laughs) And look, it could happen Pac-12, Big 12 over the next couple of months. Who knows? Um, But the money is the driver of all things. And I think one thing people forget is that in these conversations, which change the landscape of college football, the people who are pulling the strings are university presidents, coaches, players, athletic directors, like the gossip and the scoop, but they got nothing on this. It's the university presidents who make these decisions. And those men and women want to know how much money am I going to make in this league or that league? And that's where the TV deals come in. And that's why, while everybody's, what's going to happen in the Big 12 and the Pac-12, nobody wants to answer that until the presidents have on their desk, I'm going to make 80 million here and 40 million here. And I'm just throwing out numbers, right? But that's the kind of disparity that they need to see in black and white before they make that type of decision. Do you, do you ever think Notre Dame – I know you follow Notre Dame pretty closely. Do you ever think they will get in a conference? Um, their athletic director, Jack Swarbrick, has said publicly that there are three things that would make them join a conference. And one of them is a financial situation so dire that they would sort of be pushed in that direction. And another one is being left out, something happening with the postseason that just made it unfair or inaccessible i'm kind of paraphrasing him off the top of my head i can't remember what the third thing was might have been like tv tv deal or something like that but none of those things as we sit here today are on the horizon nothing 
that I see is worthy of scaring Notre Dame into joining mm-hmm. the conference. So I think they're going to cling to their independence as long as they can. Because the other thing is, well, we look at it through football tunnel vision, which I certainly do. They look at it as a university-wide stance and historic perspective and, and all that stuff. And I think, again, that goes up to Father Jenkins, to, to the president of the school. And I just don't see um, any momentum to budge there anytime soon. Yeah, for sure. So as you know, as you said in conference realignment, USC and UCLA are both going to the uh, Big Ten conference. Do you think the Pac-12 will be able to survive as a conference with the SEC and Big Ten becoming such powerful conferences? I do think it will survive um, because the schools that are remaining are no slouches. I mean, as long as Oregon and Washington sign the grant of rights and Arizona and ASU, I mean, Colorado's got Deion Sanders now. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there is a lot in that league. I mean, golly, I've got three boys. Any one of those boys gets into Stanford, USC. (laughs) What parent is not like, yes, you Mm -hmm. know, did it. Thank you. Um, these are great schools we're talking about. So I, I think as long as those 10 that are left stick together and are happy and look, if they add other schools for market, I know there's a lot of whispers about SMU to get that Texas market. Um, that would be a big deal for them in terms of time zone and TV region audience and stuff like that. So as long as they're smart and they get eyes on their league from coast to coast, I think that makes a difference. I remember talking to UCLA's athletic director. This was a year or two, Martin Jarman. And he was like, and and this line stuck with me for so many reasons in so many different ways. He said, if you can see it, you can be it. Nobody can see, see being a Bruin. He's like, you can see Penn state all over the place, you know, but nobody sees this enough from coast to coast and the recruiting is everything. So if they can get eyes on their programs and get the players, then I think they'll be just fine. Yeah, you mentioned Colorado with Deion Sanders uh, being the head coach there. What are your expectations for them? Well, they've already made quite the splash, haven't they? I mean, he's he's all over social media and he's doing a thing and he's having fun. Um, I'll be curious to see what they look like this year for starters, but the transfer portal is so interesting and so beneficial um, how he uses that to his advantage. Um, we saw what Lincoln Riley was able to do with it, especially offensively last year at USC. Um, you can have a quick fix at a program. I, I don't expect that entirely though in year one. I mean, it's year one for crying out loud and, and there's a lot of work to do at Colorado and the recruiting is the number one thing. Um, so I think that, I think let's just give them time. Um, quite honestly, I'm excited to see it. It's fun. It's refreshing. It was a brilliant hire. Brilliant. And it should not be lost on the fact that he's a black head coach at the college level. And that is, I mean, you can't put a price tag on that. He's That's important. So all of those things, I think, are just trending up for Colorado. Yeah, being that you, you cover college football as much as anyone – I just kind of wanted to ask you about your opinion on NIL. Um, is it, you know, is what you, is it what you expected? Is it not as good? Is it is it worse? Is it better? Uh, so, um, I mean, quite honestly, I guess it's what I expected. Be because it's, 
we don't we don't have a filter on this podcast. It's a beep, it's a beep show. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought it was gonna be. <laughs> um and and you know legislation's coming out of every corner and every pocket and Florida's trying to do this and everybody's doing their own thing and NCAA is trying to crack down on it. And it's just like anything else. And that people find loopholes and boosters are involved and problems that were already there have been exacerbated. But there are also such amazing stories like Florida State's offensive lineman, which I'm blanking on right now, who used it for such a good reason. Um, mm. And there are really honest to good stories about how it's being used, which I think is fabulous. And, and I think it's great for the student athletes. Let's just call them players. That's what they are. Um, you know, so I, I think it's good. And I think eventually the dust will settle and, and they'll start to figure it out a little bit more. But um, I mean, look, it, we're all skinny minute here away from the day payers are just getting put paychecks anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Heather. So we see on the ESPN every year when the college football playoff committee is getting together at the Gaylord and, just kind of take us behind the scenes, maybe of, of a a weekend there with with the committee. Uh, you know, we obviously don't get to see the insides, but just how is that? How is that there? It's my like it's literally my most favorite time. I go there twice. I go there for the first ranking and the last ranking. Mm -hmm. People are confused. They think I'm there every week, and I'm like in the room at the table. I'm not. I'm not. I'm doing a lot of live reports. Um, and really the great thing for me is the limited face time that I do have with the committee members coming in and out. And I'm really literally just stalking them like a reporter, um, just hallway <laughs> conversations. And so many athletic directors are on the committee. It's really great because there's always something else going on, truthfully, like Ward Manuel from Michigan had the whole um, Michigan State issue. I was just kind of able to, you know. That week, just be like, hey, is there anything you could tell me off the record? Rick George is on the committee. He was hiring Deion Sanders. So there was that hallway conversation. So in addition to the stuff that's going on about the actual playoff, it's also nice to just talk to these people about other things that are going on at that time. Um, but nothing has compared to the very first time I walked in that room because it was the first college football playoff selection committee. And you had Barry Alvarez, Condoleezza Rice, Tom freaking Osborne. I mean, you walked in there and it was just oozing power and football knowledge. And I was like, wow, like this is for real. And um, the star power has diminished a little bit <laughs> since then. But, you know, I don't think people understand the process enough. And while you, you watch the games every weekend, people – like me and in the committee, my job is to literally watch it from noon until 2 a.m. I mean, the Pac-12 has killed me because especially this past <laughs> season, like Oregon's playing games that matter. Utah's playing games that matter to this whole picture. And when you, you think you know, and then you sit at that table, like the six of us can talk about it and have an idea in our heads of what we think it should be at the top. But as we listen to each other, Jason, you make a great point. Brody, you make a great point. I mean, like, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I'm going to change. I'm going to flip these. And that conversation happens. And I'm like, wait a minute. Do you understand that Michigan has not played anybody for four straight games? And everybody's like, oh yeah, that's why the stats are so big. And those conversations happen and opinions change. And then the poor chair, whoever he or she might yeah. be, got to go on with Reese in two minutes and be like, this is why we did this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
you know, and the whole world is like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. And they're mm-hmm. like consistently inconsistent, but to have been reporting it and have such a thorough understanding of how their brains work in there and how they get to that. I, I don't always agree with it, but I can explain it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that collaboration that you're talking about, uh, is a lot different, I guess, than the beast, right? Than the computer rings. Uh, do oh, you see yeah. that that? Do you do you see that that's ever going to be used anymore in the future? The computer rings. I mean, I like the collaboration. I like I like hearing how you're talking about that. You know, feeding off each other and, and, and doing that. But so I just didn't know if you think you know the computer rankings ever going to come back into play with seeding or anything else in that twelve team. I would be shocked, honestly, because as far as I know, as we sit here today, the intention is to have the selection committee continue to pick in the 12 team playoff. And, you know, it's going to look different, obviously. And the, the way the field is selected will be, will look different from their top 12, even mm-hmm. let alone their top 25. Um, but they have every stat you could possibly want at their fingertips. And so I think to allow to allow people to match up what they're seeing on film with the stats. I remember Alvarez saying that the first year he was looking at Mississippi state and he was like, I think they're doing this. I see this on film. I'm watching them up front, blah, blah, blah. And then he has his guy look it up on stats and he's like, yep, it's, it's matching up. The stats are matching up with what I see. So you, in a way you have the help of the computer, but to be able to have that human perspective say, yeah, you know what? They look great, but they did it against UConn, Hawaii, and insert your cupcake here, right? Mm-hmm. So I think all of that is important. So that's why I don't think they'll go back to that. Yeah, you. I, that's interesting that you say that. I, I agree. You mentioned watching football 12 noon to 2 a.m., and you said earlier you had three boys. So I'm one question I have for these guys also that are going to be pursuing broadcasting and journalism is the balance. How do you balance so well those things? Um, well, if you, they, two, two of the three just got off the bus. So you might hear yelling and screaming in the back. <laughs> um, I balance it with a lot of help. I'm super lucky that I have in-laws and an awesome husband and um, we just somehow we get it done. And as you can see, I'm home. So if I'm not on the road, I get to work from home and I don't have to go into an office every day. That's super helpful. Um, but yeah, it's it, for all working parents and, you know, every, everybody knows this, no matter what field you're in, it's a, it's a juggle and it's, um, it, it, you need help. You got to ask for help. Yeah, Heather. Well, uh, once again, thank you for joining us. And, I, th- I think we only have a few more questions, but um, as you've covered college football for over your years, do you have a favorite player or team you've ever gotten to cover? Um, so that's interesting. Um, I, you know, I don't, I honestly guess, I mean, like I said, I went to Indiana university. I'm probably the most unbiased college football reporter there is out there because of that. Um, so I really don't have a, a favorite team, but the team that sticks out in my mind is the 2019 Joe Burrow national championship team. And not, not as a favorite team by any stretch of the imagination, but as possibly the best college football team I've seen. I mean, Joe Burrow was outstanding. 
And I was at that national championship. They won it in New Orleans. I mean, how far were they away from campus? Just that atmosphere, that team. I'll never forget him smoking the cigar in the locker room, being in the locker room after that game. I mean, you couldn't, like, you had to swim through the smoke because everybody was smoking cigar. Like, it was just a thing you remember. So I think the confidence and the cockiness and just the we are the best and they were – um, that 2019 LSU team stands out in my head, but I wouldn't call it a favorite, just uh, one you won't forget. Yeah, so, I mean, the OU-Texas SEC move pretty much completely finalized. The only thing left is the scheduling format. So what are your thoughts on what's going to happen in that? Is it going to be a 3-9 form or 3-6 format for nine conference games? I would be surprised if it's not. I mean, I think what we're ultimately going to see is all conferences drop their divisions. Um, I think the SEC is probably going to play nine games. That's an educated guess because Greg Sankey has told me that he's emphasized to his athletic directors, let's rotate teams through so they see each other as much as they possibly can so they're not going 12 years without playing each other like some of them have now. And when you have a 16-team conference – Golly, you just want to play the most conference opponents you can. So that just makes the most sense to me. Yeah, so who do you think OU's three permanent opponents would be? We know who the two are probably after everything Sankey said. What do you think the third one will be? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? I didn't give I didn't give much thoughts to that, to be honest. Oh, I was just I, – I know it's obvious we're playing Texas. That's yeah. the rivalry. And then I saw your thing on Sankey with Mizzou, OU-Mizzou. And so, really, I've seen Florida. That's what I'm kind of leaning. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. I mean, I think yeah, I think that's a good. I think that's a good guess. Um, I don't know. Uh, what would Oklahoma fans want to see most? I would love to see A and M, but I don't think that's. Yeah. Gonna- I want to see Florida do to just pure, Florida or LSU do to recruiting purposes because. Uh, Louisiana and Florida are such big recruiting hotbeds, and OU's starting to expand now that they're going to the SEC. So I think that could help OU a lot. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, Heather, really appreciate you taking the time to join us today, and thanks again. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Thank you so So much. So honored. Very honored, Heather. Yeah, thank Thank you. you. Thanks, guys.